We are going to engage the scripture and we're going to continue into our Lenten series, which goes over the questions of Jesus. And I invite you to take a moment as we engage more silence, as we consider how the questions we've received thus far may have worked in our hearts, may have challenged us, may have wrestled with us. Uh, We started with, what are you looking for? We continued with, what is your name? And last week was, where is your faith? come to our question today in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7. Your bulletin says we'd start with 36, but I'm changing it up. We're going to start with 31. So if you're following along, go back to 31 in the seventh chapter of our third gospel. And it begins. Jesus says, to what will I compare the people of this generation? Jesus asked, what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace calling out to each other. We played the flute for you and you didn't dance. We sang a funeral and you didn't cry. John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine and you say he has a demon. Yet the human one came eating and drinking and you say, look, a glutton and a drunk, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved to be right by all her descendants. Beginning on 36. One of the Pharisees invited Jesus to eat with him. After he entered the Pharisee's home, he took his place at the table. Meanwhile, a woman from the city, a sinner, discovered that Jesus was dining in the Pharisee's house. She brought perfumed oil in a vase made of alabaster. Standing behind, behind him at his feet and crying, she began to wet his feet with her tears. She wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured the oil on them. When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw what was happening, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. He would know that she is a sinner. Jesus replied, Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, speak, he said. A certain lender had two debtors. One owed enough money to pay 500 people for a day's work. The other owed enough money for 50. When they couldn't pay, the lender forgave the debts of them both. Which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the largest debt canceled. Jesus said, you have judged correctly. Jesus turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? When I entered your home, you didn't give me water for my feet, but she wet my feet with tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she has poured perfumed oil on my feet. This is why I tell you that her many sins have been forgiven. So... She has shown great love. The one who is forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other table guests began to say among themselves, 
Who is this person that even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The word of God for the people of God. Love, love, love this story because it challenges us. If we read it on the surface, we can breeze right through it. But when we look just below the surface, we see some things come to life. So our gospel writer has transitioned from a story that we didn't really read today, but we read the end when John the Baptist had sent disciples to come to Jesus to say, are you the one or should we expect another? Which says that John was thinking, All the things I thought Jesus would be about, that's not what I'm hearing. Was I wrong? And Jesus replies, more or less paraphrasing, what did you expect? The blind are given sight. The lame are walking. The oppressor going free. The captive are released. He quotes scripture to take back to John, that John may reshape his expectation so that he could see what's happening. And Jesus then confronts all that are standing there who have heard this, and it doesn't look good for John, does it? But Jesus uplifts John, that no one's been born greater than John, but even the least in the kingdom of heaven will be greater than John, which is mysterious. And then he addresses the Pharisees, and he says, John came, didn't eat or drink, right? He ate bugs. And you said he had a demon. I've come, and I eat, and I drink, and I eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners, and you say that I'm a drunkard and a glutton. You're missing it, more or less. You keep finding reasons to challenge what's happening, what God is doing through John and through me. And that's the end of the scene. Except it's not, because now we are presented with two types of people that Jesus is dining with. He's eating and drinking. He's eating with a Pharisee. He's eating with what ends up being a woman coming in. Now, I want to set the scene a little bit, because in our 21st century table, if you're picturing the table, you're not going to picture what they were. And I've looked up a lot of paintings from the Renaissance era, and they're not picturing it right either. I'll just say it. Uh, In the Greek for the coming to sit and eat at the table, the word is a word for recline. And what this might look like, and I'll have you go ahead and skip to the, uh, the next one real quick. So reclining looks like this. So they don't sit in chairs. They're more or less kind of on a mat or maybe a couch if they were rich enough. And you kind of lay down toward the table. And generally, you would lay on your left arm and eat with your right. It's weird. Yes, it is. Maybe I'll we'll have a dinner party sometime. We'll try this. So if you can understand that if this is the setting, Jesus' feet are pointed at the wall. Now something else to know is that in this setting, in the home of a Pharisee, a great leader, everyone would know and could see into the meal, and people might come in and out of the home all the time. It wasn't like our homes and our doors. It was kind of an open community. Everyone knew what was happening. Now, you might get addressed if you go into someone's house, sure. But what would happen in this setting is the poor and the marginalized would stand around the walls. And they would stand around and they would wait, hoping for some table scraps. The way that they used, remember you eat with your fingers, the way that they would wipe their hands after eating meat or uh, 
something that had juice, they would grab bread, tear a piece, kind of wipe their hands with it, and throw it away from the table. So there's another scripture later that somebody says, maybe the, just hope to eat the table scraps, right? Uh, Jesus says they're for the dogs, right? Because generally it might be a dog would pick it up. However, there would be people around the, the room maybe that they'd throw it, and maybe you'd throw it a little further to a person that they could eat. It was a show of mercy. So people being in the room, say so we wonder, how did that woman get in the room? How'd she even get in there? That's how. She would have been there. There would have been other people there. That wasn't uncommon. The Pharisee is having trouble. He's one of the characters. The woman is the character. Now, the Pharisee, uh, he would have been expected to welcome a holy man who was traveling through the area. It's kind of etiquette. It's what you do. It would have been an honor. And so he would have had Jesus come, one, to be polite, but we also know that the Pharisee is curious about Jesus and wants to know, is he a prophet? Is he really a prophet? Because he's doing some things that are a little strange. And so he invites Jesus over, and Jesus knows his heart. He knows his motivations, and Jesus accepts the invitation anyway. Of course Jesus does. And then a woman, she comes in. She's not given a name. She's just labeled a sinner. And what the word sinner means in the gospel writings is someone who is not a part of the family of God. If you're a Gentile, you're a sinner. If you're not a part of Israel, you're a sinner. If you're a tax collector, well, then you are part of the family of God, but you are a traitor. Therefore, they are always marked separate from sinners because they're a different, whole different breed. They're one of us, but they betray us. Now, she comes to the table, and Jesus accepts her presence there as well. Of course he does. He sees her and her motivations, just like he sees the Pharisee and his motivations. And of course, he welcomes them. There was separation within the community, particularly by some Pharisees. Pharisees were just a group, right? Let's call them, well, no, I don't want to call them conservatives or Democrats or whatever. That's going to, I'm not going to do that. We'll just call them Pharisees, okay? Let's imagine a group of political motivation that's present. They're a group. They assign to particular beliefs. They believe certain things. They follow the purity code of Leviticus, and they believe that following the purity code is what makes them acceptable to God. And they want nothing to do with people that aren't seen as acceptable to God. In fact, they blame all the people that aren't acceptable to God for all the problems of Israel. Good thing we don't do that ever, right? Yeah. Um, by admitting sinners into their presence, Pharisees, see, if they did this, they would be saying, I accept you, and we are now equals. If you eat with somebody in this culture... You are saying we are one and the same. Your honor is my honor. Your shame is my shame. Which is why Jesus always gets in trouble for eating with sinners and tax collectors. Because he's supposed to be holy. And he's sharing the table. He's sharing bread and food with people that don't quite measure up. So he gets in trouble. Jesus is reclining. And we can go to the picture of Jesus reclining at the table. And a woman comes to his feet. We don't know much about the woman. We don't even know her name. But we know that she has accepted the good news. Now, what is the good news? Well, Jesus hasn't died on the cross, so it's not that good news yet. She has accepted release from her sins. Release, forgiveness, that's all, it's monetary language. It's like credit or debit or charge. If you have a debt against God, it means you don't live up. You owe God. Jesus came to say, you're forgiven. You're released. You have no more debt. 
And this woman accepted that good news. Easier said than done, folks. Am I right? How many of you are still holding on to your sins? Still holding on to someone else's? Yeah. We say it, which is why we say it. Repent, rethink, accept the good news. Yeah. So we, this woman brings an alabaster jar of ointment. She wants to thank Jesus. She wants to love on him, to honor him for being the bearer of this good news. And maybe she doesn't quite get it yet, but he is the good news in flesh and blood. So she wants to honor him and anoint his feet, except she messes up. If you read it in some of the, uh, the other translations, what it seems like is that she goes to anoint him and she starts weeping and causes kind of a scene, and her tears are falling, and all of a sudden they're on Jesus' feet, and so she grabs her hair, she lets it down, and starts wiping his feet, and then eventually gets his feet ready to be anointed. But it seems as if she's just overcome, and she ends up bathing his feet and doing it with her hair. Now, these are all wrong. These are all wrong. One, she's in there, which is fine, stay against the wall. But now she's stepped forward, she's at the feet of a man, and she's not married to him. She's a sinner. And she's touching, touching a holy man. Now she's crying and causing a scene and disrupting the meal of these holy men honoring each other. So then she lets down her hair, which if you don't know, that is a big no-no. You do not do that as a woman in public at this time. That is an intimate thing to do. She lets it down and dries his feet. And then finally anoints his feet with the oil. She has broken every single code there is. Can you imagine the Pharisees? like fingernails on a chalkboard. Everyone's caught off guard and and they don't know what to do. What's Jesus going to do? And Simon's thinking, well, he's not a prophet. Because if he were, he wouldn't have let this happen. He would know who she is. He would know what she's done. So, not a prophet. He says that to himself. Jesus then proves to him three times over, oh yeah? Simon, I hear your thoughts. I'm a prophet. Simon, I know her sins. I know the sins that were. And I know the forgiveness that is. Oh, I'm a prophet. And because knowing that Simon's probably not going to accept this information straight up, he offers a parable. Such a clever thing to do. What he's going to do is he's going to tell a parable, set up the logic. And you can accept the logic in something you're not emotionally invested in, and then he's going to bring it into the thing you're emotionally invested in and see if you will betray yourself and betray the logic or if you will be honest. So who is going to love more, the one forgiven more or less sin? Simon? And Simon says, the one who is forgiven more. And Jesus says, yeah. And she's loved more because of it. Look what she's done. He then poses, okay, Jesus kind of puts Simon in a tough spot. Simon has just now publicly, vocally affirmed that the woman's doing a good thing. Nails on the chalkboard, right? Just to drive the point home, Jesus fully reveals the light on the situation. So what you don't know, you can kind of pick up from the scripture, is if you are a holy person and you're going to invite a holy person over for dinner, you would have some customs and etiquette when they entered your house. Okay, they didn't wear shoes like we wear shoes. Their feet were open. They walked on roads where camels and donkeys walked on the road. 
You don't want to bring those feet to the table. So when they'd come in, there would be a bowl and a cloth for you to wash your feet. And then you'd be greeted with a holy kiss, something we're supposed to do. Should we try it? And then you would anoint the guest's head with oil. And the anointing signifies, one, the presence of God upon you, both physically seen in the oil, but also aromatically. You would smell good. If you're going to sit close to someone and eat, there's a purpose there too. But then for the days going forward, the aroma would stay with you. You would have been blessed publicly. Simon did none of these things for Jesus. Why did Simon invite Jesus to the house? Not to honor him. He says, Simon, do you see this woman? If we just stopped there and read the question, Simon would say, duh, I see the woman. She's right there. We've been talking about her. She's been driving me nuts all night. What are you talking about? Do I see the woman? But if you read the question below the surface, you come to understand the point. Simon, do you see a sinner? Do you see an outsider? Someone who's lived a life in resistance to the way of God. Someone who's been labeled outcast, ignored even, a wall stander. Or do you see this woman? Do you see her, Simon? Because if you see her for all that she is, just as God sees her, you're going to have to respond to her just like when we drive up to the intersection and the person stands outside of our car window with a sign and we look the other way. Because if we look at them, if we make eye contact, we now have to respond. And doing nothing is a response. I am guilty too. Your response might be to look the other way, to reject, to sneer, or to perpetuate the distance. Or you might see a human being, a daughter, perhaps a sister, a mother. Maybe you see a broken heart. Maybe you see a mistreated soul. Maybe you see a child of God. Why did she come to the house? To honor Jesus. And she washed his feet, and she never stopped kissing them, and she anointed them. So who's in the right, Simon? Jesus then offers resolution for the woman. Not for Simon. He offers it for the woman. Her sins, which he says were many, have been forgiven. That already happened before Simon, which is why she's responding the way she's responding, with love, with abundant love. But the one to whom little is forgiven loves little, Simon. And then after publicly accepting her and honoring her, he affirms her as restored to the community by saying your sins are forgiven. She's not a sinner anymore, which means from now on you cannot exclude her based on any of that. If you do, then you are ignoring what Jesus has proclaimed, which you can do. Oh, then the other guests, they start saying, who is this that can forgive sins? Who is this? They're resisting the new reality in front of them. Jesus is right there. 
The forgiveness, the love, the grace, the full truth of God's desire for reconciliation with all people is sitting with them, eating, breathing in the flesh. And all they have to say in response is simply to challenge the new reality so that they can remain in the old. They don't want to be a part of the kingdom embodied in Jesus Christ. They want to be a part of salvation through the law. They would rather resist and remain in their own power structure. I share this guilt. Jesus says to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now this word, peace, in Greek it's irene. You say it with me, irene. I know, it's written a little weird out there. Irene, anybody may know an Irene? A person named Irene? Comes from this word, Irene. The word means harmony, tranquility, safety, healed, well, whole, and in right relationship. She's invited to go into this reality. The gospel writer ends the scene right there. No resolution for Simon. What is Simon going to do? What will the rest of the guests do? Will they welcome her? Will she be at the table at the next meal? Will they write Jesus off as just another false prophet who offers grace to even the sinners? After all, he's a drunkard and a glutton. He reclines with tax collectors and sinners. Tax collectors are traitors. Sinners are the outcasts. They're not part of us. Will they fight to maintain their reality of the law to be the source of salvation, or will they realize they're in need of reconciliation too? Will they seek to be in peace? And Irene with God. And not only God, but all of God's creation. And not only all of God's creation, all of God's created. What will we do? Have we been hanging on to a different expectation of Jesus? I do this. Or do we celebrate that Jesus engages intimately with all who receive him? How about you? Have you been hanging on to your own definition of who you are? Are you still hanging on to that sin, that story, that thing you said? a thing you did? Are you still thinking that's me and I owe a debt? Do you still not even see yourself as a man or woman? I can't answer that for you. Do you see yourself as God sees you? God wants nothing more than to give you all the peace your life can handle. Have you been working hard to resist it? while the sinners go on embracing it? Or do we see this woman and all people like her as an example for us? No matter what you've done at this point, hear this good news. No matter what you have done at this point, the love of God is available to you because Jesus Christ has done everything necessary, has paid all the debt that you may receive right relationship with God who wants nothing more than to give it to you beyond your wildest expectations. Have you fully accepted the good news? Has your life been full of response, of reflection and love and pouring of ointment and weeping of tears? Or are you Simon? Will you go in peace with God? Do you see this woman? Amen. Amen.